I want to make one thing perfectly clear after a seven-month hiatus. This show is not about lumberjacks. My name is Christopher Grunland, and every month I share a story. Sometimes the stories contain truths, but most of the time they're made up. Sometimes the stories are funny, other times they're serious. But you have my word about one thing. I will never, ever share a story about lumberjacks. This time, it's a story about two aging punks struggling to balance what they once were and believe they'd be with what they've become. All right, let's get to work. Cubicle Punks Nobody at Artec Industries Incorporated knew that Bobby McGarvey once sported an 11-inch mohawk. He was the quiet guy in billing remittance with the short brown hair. The closest thing hinting at any wild side was a subtle wisp of hair held just a little askew with styling gel. His pressed slacks and long-sleeved dress shirts hid a body covered in tattoos, a jaded past nobody knew about until one casual Friday. That Friday, he sported jeans and a tight-knit pullover, revealing more than just his well-chiseled frame. He was in the break room getting hot water for a cup of green tea when Abby Johnson said, What's that? She pointed at his neck. Bobby realized the low neckline of the pullover revealed the tops of the four bars comprising his black flag tattoo. Ah, that's just some old ink. He pulled the collar down, showing off the rest of the piece. You have a tattoo, Abby said? That's so cool. Abby was quiet and reserved, the direct opposite of everything Bobby once was. Maybe that's why he looked forward to their morning break room chats. Bobby let go of the collar. It snapped back up, barely covering the tat. Yeah. As he finished filling the cup with hot water from the spigot on the coffee machine, Abby scooted closer to him. She leaned in closely and whispered, I hear they're addictive. Bobby smiled and pulled up a sleeve, revealing an arm awash in color, and then he pulled up the cuff of his jeans, showing off a leg covered in black ink designs. Yep. The quiet guy in cubicle B25 had finally revealed his secret. Bobby was having a shitty Monday that got even shittier around 10. He was deep in batches of checks needing to be processed by noon cutoff when the email icon popped up in the lower right corner of his monitor. He opened it. From Stephen Centauri to Robert McGarvey. Sent Tuesday, February 28th, 2017. 10.07 a.m. Subject, Payment Research Robert, I was told by Rodney Vance that you could help me. I'm trying to locate a payment for $2,684.36. I don't know if it's a single payment or a batch total, but I'm hoping you can help me find it for an end-of-month report I have due at noon. Thanks. Stevie Saturn Stephen Centauri, a.k.a. Stevie Saturn, was in accounting. 
the weird guy in cubicle C86 everybody avoided, Stevie was born in Britain and moved to the States when he was one and a half. But that didn't stop him from speaking in a forced UK accent, however, talking as though he grew up in Manchester in the Highlands of Scotland. Like Bobby, he was clean-cut through and through on the outside, allowing just a hint of a seamy past to show through his mild-mannered facade. Stevie Saturn's 11-inch Liberty Spikes were a long-gone thing of the past, but he still worked thick sculpting gel into his short hair, creating a spiky blonde top reminiscent of a perfectly peaked meringue pie. He, too, hid a body full of tattoos with long sleeves and slacks. He, too, had perfected the hushed, Yes, sir! Yes, ma'am! shtick. Bobby Click reply and responded, Steven, sure, I can help. I'm in cubicle B25. Come over at your convenience. Robert. A moment later, Bobby received another email. He heard it in that accent. Robert! Call me Stevie, mate! I'll be right over! To which Bobby replied, Stevie, you can call me Bobby. Bobby returned to his work, wading through piles of checks, manually entering them into an ancient billing system that sometimes actually worked. It was moving slow that morning and wearing on Bobby's nerves. It wasn't that he minded work so much, it was at least a steady paycheck, but it chipped away at his patience when he couldn't do his job properly. What he hated most about the slow system was that it gave him plenty of time to think about his life. He'd become everything he never thought he'd be. A responsible office monkey pushing buttons all day long and actually taking some inkling and pride in what he did, even though he saw it as a mundane task he wasn't wired for doing. But it was a steady enough life to keep him in a writing habit, sending short stories and poetry to literary journals, and trying to summon the courage to recite some poetry at open mic nights around Dallas. He was entering payments and listening to the dead Kennedys singing about stealing people's mail on his phone when somebody kicked the back of his chair. Hard. It sent him flying into his desk, and for a moment the reserved nature disappeared from his body and was replaced by something else. Everything he was when he was younger. Oi! He pushed back twice as hard against the desk, sending himself rolling backwards, driving solidly into whomever kicked the chair. He caught the kicker off guard, sending them crashing into the far wall of his cubicle as Jello Biafra sang about laughing at stolen letters. Over the tune, he heard someone say, Oi, you fucking twat! He recognized the tone. It was someone ready to fight. He spun around in his chair to face the kicker, just in time to see Stevie Saturn leaping at his chest like a steroid-enraged linebacker. Bobby got his hands out in time, preventing Stevie from a solid tackle that would have knocked him backwards, out of the chair, and headfirst into the edge of his desk. Instead, they slid into Bobby's keyboard stand, creating a commotion. They both grabbed the other's shirt, rearing back with their free hands, ready to deliver a volley of punches when Abby Johnson poked her head into Bobby's cubicle. Bobby, she said. A small crowd gathered behind her. Are you okay? Bobby let go of Stevie's shirt and lowered his fist. Yeah, we're just messing around. Aye, Stevie said, his accent worse than usual. Just a bit of scrum between mates. 
God damn that accent. They stood suspended in silence for a tense and awkward moment before Abby finally said, Okay, I just heard the noise and thought you fell or something. Nah, I'm okay, Abby. Thanks for checking on me, though. The polite Bobby McGarvey the whole office knew had returned. Okay, Abby said. Bye. Her head disappeared from view and the tiny crowd dispersed. That bed's sweet on you, mate, Stevie said. Nah. Come on, she was making shit you weren't hurt. Bobby shook his head. God damn, that accent. He said nothing, though. He just looked down at his shoes. Right then, Stevie said. Sorry about the chair, mate. Just having a bit of fun. I'm all about the first impressions. That's cool, Bobby said. He put his hand out. Bobby McGarvey. Stevie approached the handshake from a different angle, fingers up top, creating a pop as he shook Bobby's hand. Right! Stevie Saturn! Bobby noticed Stevie staring at his neck. Black flag, Stevie said. Huh? On your neck! That a black flag tattoo? Yeah, Bobby said, surprised to find an accountant familiar with the band. You know him? Stevie Saturn loosened his tie, undid the top button of his dress shirt, and pulled his collar aside. We're bloody fucking twins, mate! Stevie got a smile out of Bobby, who eventually said, So what are you needing me for? Stevie pulled out a torn piece of adding machine tape from the pocket of his slacks. Bobby saw that Stevie had scrawled a date and an amount in pen. Eh, we're trying to find an account for this. Not sure if it's a payment or a batch total. I was told that you're the man who can find it. Bobby took the piece of paper and pulled a few bank CDs from a green box on his desk. He inserted one into the disk drive of his system and said, Well, let's see. Fucking CDs, Stevie said. We still store this stuff on fucking CDs? Tell me about it. I guess somebody above us can't break an old habit. As Bobby searched the small pile of CDs, Stevie Saturn said, So how'd you end up doing this kind of shit? Needed a job. I fell into billing through customer service gigs. You? Eh, me parents told me I had to go to college. Didn't wanna, but you know how it is. Me dad's a CFO for some bullshit fucking company, and he wanted his boy to follow in his fucking tracks. So now I wear a bloody fucking tie to work and crunch fucking numbers. Far fucking cry from what I thought I'd be. What's that? I figured I'd be in a band in jail or dead. Yeah, Bobby said while looking around his cubicle. As Bobby's system chugged on, scanning CDs for the elusive amount, they talked about bands they liked in old times. Bobby felt that little spark that was once a raging fire ignite inside. It felt good to be talking about old tunes with somebody who was familiar with the bands he listened to when he was younger. It felt even better when they started talking about places where they hung out and the things that they used to do. Yeah, one time me and three blokes, we was hanging out back of Theater Gallery, hoping to sneak in to see suicidal tendencies. Couple skinheads, the racist kind, start fooking with us, and me mate Brian looks up at this brick-ass skin and says, What's that? He's pointing at his neck, right? And the fucking skin says, What? And me mate Brian says, That scar on your neck. And the skin says, What fucking scar? Brian looks up at him and says, Ah, that must be the scar from where the rabbi circumcised you, you big dick. 
The focus started rocking on us, and before you know it, skin start coming at us from all sides. A righteous fucking boot party on our asses, I tell ya. Then these mohawks, they come out of nowhere. One of them takes out the big skin with a broken bottle. Just brutal shit, I tell ya. Never seen nothing like it, mate. Blued his fucking chest like he was trying to gouge the fucking skin's heart out. There was old blood between the two, that was for sure. Still wonder what the skin had done to make that mohawk go batshit like that. Bobby found the amount Stevie was looking for, a batch total consisting of a dozen and a half checks. He printed the list and then pulled up his shirt. His stomach was a crisscrossed mass of slashed scar tissue. That skinhead you talked about was good with a straight razor. I was better with broken bottles. Bobby and Stevie began spending time together, hanging out in the cafeteria on lunch breaks. Aside from the annoying fake accent and somebody clinging too hard to his past, Stevie Saturn was an alright guy. Bobby found comfort talking about old times. He felt he'd somehow betrayed who he was when he was younger, and even though he thought Stevie leaned a bit toward the poser side of the spectrum, he liked his company, even if he complained all the time. There's nothing more pathetic than an aging punk, Stevie said, except an aging punk who's also an accountant. I was looking at myself in the fucking mirror the other night. Stevie pulled up his shirt, revealing an abdomen covered in tattoos, a skull with a mohawk, a checkered flag, and his most prized piece, an anarchy symbol covered in a cartoon image of Saturn with liberty spikes. He patted his stomach. I'm getting a pooty belly just like me fucking old man. It's the ghost of Meisterbrow's past catching up with me, I tell ya. He grabbed the flabby skin and shook a Jolly Roger with crossed pistons instead of crossed bones. Me tats, man. They're gonna be all old and wrinkly one day, hanging down to me fucking nuts. I'll be able to fold the skin over and it'll be like the fucking back of a mad magazine, mate. Hidden in me flabby tats will be Alfred E. fucking Newman's head. Bobby laughed and Stevie Saturn noticed a group of old women a couple tables over looking at him. He let his shirt fall to his waist, covering his tattoos and father without a shirt on beer belly. He cocked his head to the other table. There was a time I'd waggle me tongue at them minger birds and I'd grab my cock, or giving them all two fingers and ask them what the fuck they were looking at. Now look at me! He held his tie in his hand. I wear a fucking leash to work, man! Bobby pushed several peas up against a chunk of potato, struggling to get them on the prongs of his fork. He heard everything Stevie said, but there was really nothing to add. He bobbed his head up and down enough so Stevie knew that he wasn't being ignored, but Bobby said nothing. Stevie sighed. (sighs) You ever miss it, mate? Bobby gave up on the peas and looked up. Miss what? Just, you know, everything. Blowing up mailboxes, fucking shit up, fighting, staying out all night, not having to go to work the next morning. Just being a slack-ass fuck. Bobby ran his hand across his abdomen, feeling the scars beneath two layers of shirts. For him, it was about so much more than fucking shit up in the occasional fight. There was a time he believed in revolution, an ideal state of anarchy that he knew could never exist. Fuck the core, fuck the pigs, and fuck the government. 
Bobby McGarvey once saw himself as a crucial player in a new society. Now, he sat in the cafeteria of a large corporation, eating a microwave samosa that he paid too much for at a health food co-op. Yeah, I guess I miss it. At least aspects of it. He looked around the cafeteria and grimaced. This place makes me feel numb. I guess I miss feeling something. Bobby thought Stevie was about to say something big. Instead, he said, We need to go fucking bullin', mate. What you say? Thursday night we hit whatever the fook that place was that used to be Don Carter's and we throw some stones. We drink some beer, raise some hell. You in? It was a far cry from a call of revolution, but Bobby still said, Sure. Strike! Stevie shouted after mowing down ten pins. He wasn't rubbing a steady flow of strikes in Bobby's face, but he sure loved knocking things down and dancing in celebration. He trotted back to his seat and downed half a beer in a couple swallows. Right, you're up, mate. Bobby took a sip of shitty beer and grabbed his ball. He lined up his throw as if he knew what he was actually doing, hurled the ball down the lane, and took out four pins. Eh, hey, that's cool, you'll pick up the spare, mate. Pretend the pins are your fucking boss. When the ball came back, he grabbed it before it even rolled to a stop, and he hurled it down the lane, taking out the remaining six pins with force. Right! Good crack, mate! Stevie put down the rest of his beer and poured another as Bobby took his seat. Stevie took a couple sips off a fresh brew and said, Eh, we'll make a buller out of you yet. Stevie took out seven pins and picked up two the second time around. Bobby threw a strike, envisioning the pins as everything he hated in his youth. He was far from keeping pace with Stevie's drinking, but the rosy buzz from the beer had loosened him up enough that the things that had been weighing on his mind bubbled to the surface and made sense. At 47 years old, he was at a crossroads. He could continue his dull life, locked away in a cubicle for the rest of his life, or he could get off his ass and finally do something with it. He bowled the best game of his life, and when it was over, Stevie Saturn suggested that they hit the bar for another pitcher of beer and some talk. I had this dream last night, mate. Fucking balls out wild shit, Stevie said. I walked into work wearing an exploited t-shirt, and when me boss told me to go home and change into something more appropriate for the workplace, I noted the fucker a good one. Knocked his ass to the ground and had a one-man boot party on his face. Fucked him up good, I did. Broke a fucking adding machine across the back of his head for good measure. And when security came for me, I beat the shit out of them too. Torched the fucking building on me way out. He guzzled the rest of his beer, poured another, and said, You ever think about doing shit like that, mate? Sometimes, Bobby said, but that's not how you bring things down. Stevie gave Bobby a puzzled look and returned to his beer. We're inside, Bobby said. We can hurt them bad. We can wipe out accounts, steal funds, frame our bosses so they do time, and we walk away rich men. Stevie Saturn cracked a grin and said, Ha! Good mate. And then he realized Bobby McGarvey wasn't kidding. It's easy to talk shit, Bobby said, before slamming the rest of his beer in a gulp.
it's another thing to actually follow through. As the night progressed, Stevie Saturn drank himself into a stupor, sliding into drunken honesty. He confessed that his Brit Scott accent was fake, and that he'd only heard about the fight behind theater gallery from a friend. He wasn't there. He told Bobby how he'd taken money his father had given him for college and spent it getting tattoos. He told Bobby he sometimes hummed air supplies all out of love in his head at work. I'm a fucking wanker, ain't I? Nah, Bobby said. Then, in a cheesy British accent, added, Maybe a right bastard, but not a bloody fucking wanker. They cracked up and Bobby put a fistful of bills on the table. Let me give you a ride home, mate. Stevie struggled to keep his head from drooping. Eh, probably a good idea. Bobby drove a 2005 VW Jetta that had seen better days. He helped his drunk friend get settled in and then hopped to the driver's seat. You remember how to get home, Bobby said? Stevie pointed down Walnut Hill to the east. They drove past rundown houses and older apartments. Stevie nodded in and out of consciousness, one moment seemingly sound asleep and the next moment opening his eyes, sitting up and saying, Turn here. A few more turn here's put them well into affluence, leaving the dingy neighborhoods near Walnut Hill and Harry Hines far behind. Shoddy ranch houses and apartments gave way to small bungalows, tiny mansions, and sweeping estates hidden behind high walls and tall shrubs as they neared Southern Methodist University. They ended on a quiet street lined with older bungalows. As Bobby drove along a wrought iron fence with rows of tall, thin evergreens standing like sentinels, Stevie Saturn sat up, pointed at the driveway, and said, Turn here. There was no sign of his faux accent. You sure, Bobby said, bringing the Jetta to a stop in the street? Yeah, Stevie said. Whose house is this? Mine. Bobby pressed his foot on the gas pedal and eased the Jetta from the street and up a steep driveway. Cresting the top of the drive, Bobby got his first glimpse of Stevie Saturn's humble abode. Even though Stevie was an accountant for a large corporation, Bobby just assumed that he lived in an old apartment or a ratty house at best. He definitely wasn't expecting a feng shui masterpiece. At the front of the house, the driveway became a circle, skirting the edge of a fountain that emptied into a small pool. Bobby pulled the Jetta to a stop at the bottom of several stone stairs flanked by bulky foodog statues. They weren't the cement kind you could buy at a garden store. These appeared to be the genuine article, both resting on raised foundations guarding the entrance to Stevie Saturn's home. Is this really your place, Bobby said? Yeah, Stevie said as he fumbled for the door handle. Bobby jumped out, ran around to the other side, and opened the door for Stevie. He was like a drunk prom date with five o'clock shadow and a penchant for swearing. Bobby helped Stevie up the steps into the door. Stevie tried a couple keys before finding the one that actually fit the lock. Until he finally sank a key into the keyhole, Bobby thought Stevie must have been kidding. That he was just messing with a random house in a nice neighborhood to fuck with a new friend. Bobby expected lights to come on and hear somebody shouting about calling the police. 
But Stevie had the key that opened the house that was the antithesis of its owner. The foyer was equally impressive. A small koi pond full of fat, lazy fish and strategically placed shafts of bamboo that seemed to give the small entry a deceptive sense of space. Wooden double doors led into the living room. Stevie took his shoes off, setting them on a bamboo mat on the floor, and Bobby followed his lead. As Bobby placed his shoes on the mat, he noticed three old-looking Chinese coins tied to the doorknob with a red ribbon through their square holes. This can't be the place, he thought. Maybe he still lives with his parents. The living room was decorated in the same sparse but perfect manner. Dragon imagery everywhere, on the lacquered cabinets carved into the backs of ornate wooden chairs, and there was a huge jade dragon statue on a low table near a sleek couch. Every plant was placed with purpose. River rocks were piled on the floor around a chair near a big window. This place is amazing, Bobby said. It was a far cry from the apartment full of crushed beer cans and punk posters tacked to the walls that he expected. Thanks, Stevie said. Stevie opened a lacquered cabinet, revealing an expensive sound system. He pressed a button and the subhuman shouted about the violent death of Mickey Mouse. Stevie jumped around the room and Bobby watched him, realizing how stupid slam dancing looked without a crowd. The music seemed to be trespassing in the room, like Nirvana had been overrun by the shouting of punks. Wind chimes, bamboo flutes, and running water were sounds that belonged in Stevie Saturn's house. The shouted lyrics, buzzing guitars, and incessant drumming were out of place. Stevie Saturn took a run at Bobby, slamming into him as nothing I can do started playing. Bobby slammed back. It was like being 16 again, discovering rebellion in the form of droning music and shouted lyrics. As he slam-danced in Stevie's perfect little living room, Bobby found himself lost in memories of a time when action cut in line before better judgment. He used to be genuine trouble. He'd done time. He'd hurt a lot of people. He wondered how he went from that to a cubicle monkey who wore slacks and dress shirts to work. He wasn't much different than Stevie when he thought about it. He could try telling himself he believed in an ideal when he was younger, but it came down to the reason most people gravitated to punk, or any form of rebellion. Boredom. Now, more than twice a teenager in age, boredom was still a guiding factor in Bobby's life. Bored with his job. Bored with his routine. It was easy to tear shit up, but it took a determined man to succeed. Whether it was following a dream or simply eking out a comfortable living like his new friend. Bobby could say what he wanted about Stevie's little punk facade, but he was a determined little shit. And determination was the arch nemesis of boredom. When Dying World started playing, Stevie turned the music down to background droning. He plopped down in his dragon chair near the window and pointed to the couch, inviting Bobby to sit. He opened an ornate box on a small table beside the chair and came out with a pipe. Ever smoke opium? Bobby shook his head no. You wanna? Bobby shook his head yes. Stevie lit the pipe and took a couple deep draws. 
Even the pipe matched the house, an ornate antique Bobby was almost afraid to touch. He followed Stevie's lead and took a couple deep tokes. It tasted different than pot, sweeter, exotic. It had been almost a year since Bobby's last high, but the opium went in smooth. When it finally took hold of his mind, it was unlike anything he'd ever done before. It was like being underwater. The heightened senses were there, just like with marijuana, but things were even clearer despite a strange muffled feeling to everything around him. He suddenly became very aware of how comfortable Stevie Saturn's couch was. The couch supported Bobby's body in all the right places. He could close his eyes and drift in his thoughts forever. He rolled his shoulders forward, causing them to crunch beneath the stress. It sounded like a giant glacier making its inch-long annual crawl. Bobby closed his eyes and the room seemed to grow cold. The dripping from the fountains in Stevie's house he envisioned as the dripping of melting ice, pure and crisp, emerging from a thousand-year slumber. It was the most euphoric, beautiful feeling Bobby had ever experienced. He wasn't sure if he was awake or dreaming. He really didn't care. Bobby had no idea how much time had elapsed when Stevie slipped back into his accent and finally said, So are we gonna do this, mate? Do what, Bobby said, not wanting to come back down. He wanted the pipe. He wanted to return to the glacier and not have to think about anything. The plan you mentioned. Take the company for a bunch of fucking money and frame the head honchos. Bobby couldn't tell if Stevie was kidding or serious, but he knew he was sick of that accent. Dude, just talk normal. He looked around the room. This is really all yours? Yeah, Stevie said. So, are we going to do this? There was almost something fatherly about the question. I don't know. Do you want to? Stevie looked around the room and slipped back into the accent. Give all this up? Eh, sorry. Was it some kind of test? Bobby wondered if the opium somehow cleared Stevie's body of all the beer he drank and left behind someone much wiser than he'd let on. You know, sometimes, Stevie said, just knowing you can do something is good enough, don't you think? Yeah, Bobby said, the final strands of euphoria slipping from his mind. He realized the CD had changed over at some point. Is that air supply? Stevie Saturn tried holding the laugh back, but it came out between clenched lips wet and sloppy, like a marijuana giggle. <laughs> yeah, it is. You weren't shitting me. You really listened to Air Supply? Stick around long enough and you'll hear Hayden and Hoyt Axton, too. No shit? No shit. Don't let it get around, though. Stevie slipped back into his fake British accent. Got a reputation to uphold, mate. <laughs> they cracked up, and when they were done laughing, Stevie said, Got a question for you. What's the thing that eats away at your mind, something you've been wanting to do but you haven't? Nothing, Bobby said. Come on! A big old head like yours has got to be full of some thoughts. Well, I haven't mentioned it, but I write. No shit! What do you write? Stories and poetry, but I don't do anything with it. Let me hear something. Nah. No, I'm serious. You'll laugh. No, I won't. 
You said it yourself earlier tonight. It's easy to talk shit. It's another thing to follow through. I know you have to have a poem or two up in your head. Speak up, motherfucker. Bobby didn't know if it was the lingering effects of the opium, or if Stevie had really changed into the wise man at the top of the mountain, but he suddenly felt confident. He stood up and said, All right. Winter in the City A cold blanket pulled over concrete, bringing the hurried pace of those too important to slow down to a halt. Before exhaust turns everything black, before everything turns to slush, for a moment, the world is muffled and still. It's not often you see a man in an Armani suit try catching snowflakes on his tongue. It's not often that you see grown adults acting like children, remembering the smell of mittens and gloves drying on warm radiators. They stop and look up for a moment the snow floating down like feathers, until night falls and winter's hand turns mean. The season's first snow. Old men stare from cold windows. Below, streets belch steam. Stevie smiled and said, That took more guts than fucking up a company. You need to do something with that. Maybe it goes nowhere, but you do that on the side and your shit job in billing becomes more than just a shit job. It feeds something more than your belly. You need to be writing instead of tracking down lost payments. Yeah, Bobby said. And what should you be doing instead of accounting? Nothing! Look around this place. This is all I've ever wanted. I make good money. My investments work for me. I've made my old man proud. I have a house that could be in a fucking magazine, dude. I have a little chair in front of my window that looks into my badass fucking garden. Bobby hadn't noticed the garden. He stepped toward the window and took a look. Stevie Saturn's backyard looked like the set of a kung fu movie, the serene place where a wizened master trained his young acolyte. And, Stevie said, I've got a new friend who's a fucking hoot. You're not so bad yourself. Yeah, I cleaned up pretty good, oi. Oi! Well, Stevie said, rising from his chair, I'm going to get some shut-eye. I need you to take me back to my car in the morning so you can crash on the couch or in the guest room. I've got a change of clothes that don't smell like beer and opium you can wear, too. Sound cool? Bobby nodded his head yes, but his mind was someplace else. What kind of car do you drive? Drove the Jag today. Total fucking punk mobile, man. The Mohawk birds love it. <laughs> when Bobby was done laughing, he said, I'll take the couch. Stevie pointed to a corner. There's a blanket in that chest there. Pillows, too. Cool. Right then. Night, mate. Good night. When Stevie Saturn had settled in upstairs, Bobby stripped down to his boxers and stretched out on the comfortable couch. He stared straight up, watching a shimmering reflection from a pool in the garden dance across the ceiling. The music kicked over and Bobby fell asleep listening to Hoyt Axton singing about Della and the dealer and a dog named Jake and a cat named Kalamazoo. The next day, Stevie Saturn and Bobby McGarvey strolled into Artec Industries Incorporated, putting the casual into Casual Friday. 
Doc Martens in jeans from the waist down, Stevie wore a black flag t-shirt with the sleeves cut off, and Bobby wore a faded Dead Kennedys t-shirt. In his fake Brit Scott accent, Stevie Saturn said, Well, I got a bloody fucking GL report to run, mate. You know what to do, oi, oi. Stevie cut away, drawing half the eyes in the office, while the other half stayed glued to Bobby, who walked right over to Abby Johnson's cubicle and said, Good morning, Abby. She looked Bobby up and down and then pointed at his shirt. The dead Kennedys? Yeah. Do you listen to him? My brother did when we were younger. Cool. Bobby started freezing up, but then he thought about Stevie Saturn's house, the magazine-perfect bungalow on a sleepy street in an affluent part of Dallas. If Stevie could do that, Bobby could definitely do this. He took a deep breath and said, Do you like reading? Abby smiled and said, I love reading. Excellent. George Saunders is in town next week talking about his new book at the DMA. I have an extra ticket if you'd like to get a bite to eat after work and go check that out. Yeah, I'd love to. Great. I'll email you with the details. He began walking away, but he turned back. Or, if you'd like, we could talk about it over lunch. That sounds great. Excellent. And with that, Bobby McGarvey turned on a clunky heel and made his way toward his cubicle, happy to have started his own personal revolution. A big thank you for listening to Not About Lumberjacks, especially after a seven-month hiatus. In the words of the greatest robot ever, Bender D. Bending Rodriguez, I'm back, baby! All music by Ergo Fizmiz and Punk Rock Opera. Visit nolumberjacks.com for information about the show, the voice talent, and the music. If you love the show, you can help by sharing it with others or leaving a review or rating on iTunes. Next month, September, yes, September, I make up for how dismal last September's story about a bullied dungeon master was with another story about bullying. This one, though, is just a bit happier. Until next time, be mighty and keep your axes sharp.